for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. Before we begin, I want to talk a little bit about the SAG-AFTRA and the WGA strikes. So both of those wonderful organizations are striking and they are bringing really meaningful change to what it means to be a writer. In the er streaming era, we've had a really big shift in how those people get paid for the wonderful labor they perform. And we, as content creators, although we are not actors or ever really intend on being them, that'd be silly. We're not hashtag unionized, but we sure would love to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very happy with my career path. But in solidarity, we urge you, our wonderful listeners, to maybe skip the watch this week and maybe skip watching a few things this week. And support your local writers that way by making sure that they are paid for the work that they perform in a meaningful way. And so we're going to continue doing what we do because we're not part of the union, because we love doing what we do and we want to keep doing it. But hopefully we can provide enough plot for you this week to keep moving forward. And with that, let's begin. What are we covering this week, Sam? This week, we've got Rebels, Rise of the Old Masters, and Breaking Ranks, both episodes from season one. Yeah, season one, episodes five and six. So what happens in Rise of the Old Masters? Rise of the Old Masters starts on the heels of Ezra and Kanan's growth as a master and apprentice. So they're on top of the ghost and training and going Poorly. Ezra is told to close his eyes and fight off milk cartons with a lightsaber that <laughs> Chopper is throwing as when he, as he enters, uh, you know, pitching robot mode and actually ends up getting knocked off the ghost and Kanan has to rescue him with the force. It's kind of just a bad scene for everyone because Kanan is like, wow, I'm a terrible teacher. You're a terrible student. Everything's going terrible. So they go inside the ship and Sabine is sitting there watching the news when rogue Senator Gal Travis cuts into the Imperial transmission and says, here's what the Empire doesn't want you to know. Jedi Master Luminara Unduli is being held in the Stygion system and she deserves to have a fair trial in front of the Senate. She's alive. And then the transmission gets cut in and they decide this is absolutely the mission they need to do. Everyone has their own reasons for doing it. Kanan particularly because he's like, hey, got to rescue another Jedi. And I need like a real teacher to teach Ezra. So they scope out the Stygian system. The spire on Stygian Prime is this outrageously well-protected Imperial facility. It's basically the Citadel arc, but for rebels. Yeah, in fact, the Spire was uh, part of some later arcs that are in Legends and in comic books and stuff. Ooh -hoo -hoo. So they come up with a plan. It's quite dangerous and silly. It involves Chopper taking the ghost, the rest of them flying aboard the Phantom, which is the teensy little attack shuttle, and airdropping in. They land, they 
put up a beachhead. Hera parks, but her jamming beacon that Sabine designed for her is putting off the mating call of the <laughs> local sky mantas, and she is chased away by mating sky mantas. Like, I guess they'll have to be on their own. She has to dip or else the ghost would get mated with. Yeah. This is, like, pretty adult for a kid show. <laughs> Meanwhile, inside the spire, they immediately learn that they have to go to a different part of the spire. So the team splits up. Sabine and Zeb are holding the turbo lift and Kanan and Ezra make their way to the room. They get in there. Inside is Luminar Unduli wearing an orange jumpsuit, but something's wrong. And as they watch, she walks backwards and then through the front plate of her sarcophagus where she is being held. It's not Luminara. It's her reanimated bones. And it's also a trap because <laughs> right then they're like, what's going on? And the Grand Inquisitor says, really? It's not complicated. As he bursts into the room and starts trash talking everyone this is literally his mo he comes in unexpectedly he slams on you and dunks on you while dueling you and making you feel bad about everything he even says kanan you appeared to have trained under jedi master deepa balaba because in close quarters she favored form three which you favor to a ridiculous degree you're sloppy you're terrible you're an embarrassment just stop right now and i was like this hurts me me <laughs> and Ezra is like, okay, uh, I'm gonna blow up the door and run, so let's bounce. So Ezra and Kanan are running, being chased brutally by the Inquisitor. They are not in any position to escape hardly at all. And it's not even that he's chasing them quickly, it's even more insulting that he's just leisurely walking after them. Mm -hmm. It's quite scary also it's, it's extremely scary eventually sabine and zeb also figure out it's a trap and start blowing everything up and as they're running along all the good guys get together and are scampering away the grand inquisitor calls for a full lockdown all the doors sh start shutting down zeb holds one open enough for everyone to get through and then in classic star wars fashion the doors close blocking off the good guy and the bad guy so the good guys can escape and in this moment they actually have to do some training they have to open this hangar door and it's locked they can't hack it so ezra and kanan focus on the locking mechanism they lift up the door there's an entire field of TIE fighters and stormtroopers. Everything's terrible. But Hera comes by and says, I'm bringing the fleet. <laughs> she comes swooping in with the cavalry. And all of these mantas come and attack everything. She blows everything up. They escape and just barely make it out as the Inquisitor is flinging his lightsaber and Kanan is blocking it. They get away and realize that, gosh, uh, so Luminar was dead the whole time. And now they're all stuck with each other. And Ezra and Kanan sit down on the front porch of the ghost, which is the door <laughs> when it's landed, and have a really good heart to heart about how Ezra is ready to be trained by Kanan. They're actually a good match for each other. And one of the great themes of this episode, Kanan tries to tell Ezra, do or do not, there is no try. Ezra says, what does that even mean? And Kanan says, I don't understand. At the end, Kanan says, I'm not going to try to train you. I'm going to train you and succeed or fail. 
I will perform the action, and the action is the part that matters. So he understands it. (laughs) So that was Rise of the Old Masters. Then we have Breaking Ranks. Breaking Ranks is a very fun but also kind of tense episode. Yeah, Breaking Ranks opens up on the Imperial Child Soldier Academy. It's more of a child soldier factory. Yeah, that too. Same, same. Ezra has infiltrated it. He's with a whole squad of other kiddos training to be stormtroopers. They're all, you know, 14. Yeah. And in just a few short weeks, they're going to graduate and become soldiers for the Empire, which is horrifying. I love that accelerated training schedule of start as a 14-year-old, and by the time you're 14 and three (laughs) months old, you are a stormtrooper. Oh, God, it's so bad. So the training officers put the cadets through their exercise for the day. It is a repeat of the box challenge from the Clone Wars. Oh, I'm glad you caught that. I know. It was definitely the Racco Hardeen arc (laughs) 2.0. I loved it. It's where the boxes all shoot out of the wall and you have to climb them to the top. Ezra, predictably, as a Force-sensitive person, does really, really well too well he sets a whole new record for the course his friend jai is like it's like you know where the boxes are going to be before they're there Mm -hmm. predictably the training officers also make a little note of this on their clipboard and then we find out why ezra is there and why it's a race against ezra completing his mission and him being found out by the empire Kanan stuck him in there to steal a decoder. Chopper's undercover is back up. And as soon as Ezra can find this decoder from Agent Callus's office, Zeb and Sabine are going to yank him out of there. The decoder is for some kind of hand-wavy operation that Kanan and Hera need to do. It's really not that important. Well, it's important in the second half of the episode. So what happens is... Ezra, he succeeds at the task of getting out of the box fast. And so him and the three other, the top three cadets, get to be aides to the Imperial Academy. And so they're wandering around. And Ezra uses this opportunity to go into Callus's office and grab the decoder. But one of his stormtrooper cadet buddies gets suspicious, follows him, sees Ezra steal the decoder, shoves him back into Callus's office, and he's like, dude, whatever you're doing is not going to work. There's a sensor on that thing. It's like the the tag on the clothes in the mall. It'll uh-huh. go off as soon as you leave the facility with Except it. Except it was a thermal detonator. So <laughs> Exactly. So it turns out that this other kiddo, Zare Leonis, also has a reason to hate the Empire. His sister, Dara, was an up-and-coming cadet at the Academy, and she disappeared, and Zare is trying to figure out what happened to her. So he and Ezra decide to team up, ace their exams, be the star cadets of the week, and try to steal the decoder the next day. They do exactly that. They kill it at their exam. Zare distracts Agent Callus in his office while Ezra hides in the ceiling vent and force lifts the decoder off of the desk. And Chopper gets it to Zeb and Sabine and they pass it off to Kanan and Hera. Great success. But while Ezra's army crawling out of the ceiling vent, he overhears his training officer holocroning in to the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. And the training officer has identified two cadets Ezra and his friend Jai as potentially Force-sensitive, and the Inquisitor's going to show up tomorrow 
to take them into custody. Mm-hmm. This is what happened to Zare's sister, Dara. So now Ezra has a whole gang, him and Jai and Zare, and they all need to escape the child soldier factory. Here's how they do it. The prize for the final training session is that if they win, they get to do a practice session in an Imperial Walker. So Ezra does his best to get Jai and Zare to the finish line. He actually doesn't make it because Mm -hmm. he's busy trying to help them succeed. So Jai and Zare end up in the walker. Ezra's on the outside. There is a thrilling escape scene interwoven with Hera and Kanan intercepting the Imperial ship that they're after. And everyone actually manages to do what they wanted to do. Hera and Kanan blow up the ship. Ezra gets out with Zeb and Sabine covering him. He pulls Giants Air out of the walker just in time. But as they are all about to escape onto the ghost, Zare says, I'm not going with you. Hand me that blaster. This is my only chance to find my sister. So he grabs the blaster. He pretends to shoot at the specters while they escape. And then the episode kind of ends on an inconclusive note. The Inquisitor shows up to interrogate Zare about his friends, Mm -hmm. Ezra and Jai, except Ezra gave a fake name because he definitely recognized Ezra. And Jai and his mom have to go into hiding. And then... Ezra's glad to be back, and the Spectres are just off to do another job. Yeah, so they rescued one Force-sensitive youth, and then another one is still infiltrating the Academy. But they did get the decoder, and in the thrilling parents go off and do dangerous things (laughs) arc, Hera and Kanan go and blow up a shipment of Kyber, which is these massive crystals. And interestingly enough, there's a whole arc in the canceled original season seven of the clone wars about these particular crystals and that is why they explode so incredibly violently when the ship explodes it was kind of like they were making of a foggy green black hole it was kind of crazy Hera crisped all of the tie fighters in that scene it was wild yeah it was a very very close fight and Hera got to do some absolutely fantastic flying which is very fun oh my gosh and she's making like mom noises the whole time she's like oh gotta get this propeller all the way up to do a loop de loop and I'm she, like you are relatable my friend she's got her just war face on the whole time and it's funny because she doesn't have her co-pilot choppers off I love Undercover Chopper because he's painted black and he's just like wandering through the Imperial Academy. It just fits him so well. It does, but it's like a bad paint job. Like (laughs) no matter what, he's still dingy. And I love that for him. It's like they just covered him in soot from the fireplace. And he's like. (laughs) So what do you want to talk about? I really love both of these episodes, Rise of the Old Masters, and the scene where Luminara turns out to be either some sort of like Sith projection or like uh, sort of a weird death amplification thing. And she's sitting there in her uniform crying, comes up and then walks backwards into her sarcophagus. That is one of the most chilling and haunting moments of all of Star Wars Rebels. It was spooky. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was October. It felt like a scene out of a (laughs) Halloween movie. Yeah. And the fact that the ghosts, the whole Spectre crew is able to like get into the spire. They're doing great. They're really relatively easily able to enter. 
and then it turns out to be a trap, but because they brought two Jedi, they're still good to go. It's such a great scene. It does really call to mind, like you said, the Citadel arc, where they definitely needed two Jedi for backup purposes because any one of these was like too complicated to solve. And it really, everyone got to showcase their skills in this episode, which is fun. Yeah, they did. I actually thought the spookiest part of Rise of the Old Masters wasn't even Luminara's reanimated corpse, like Mm -hmm. Rip, Luminara. By the way, we can talk about that later. But the spookiest part for me was the Grand Inquisitor taunting Kanan about being a bad Jedi. Oh, he digs into him so effectively. And you can just tell it's it's really wonderfully animated. You can tell that the Inquisitor is toying with Kanan. And he's getting to the point where he's like, Ezra, why don't you come work for me? Kanan is the old trash. Come on in with the new hotness. Like the dark side is awesome. And then, so he says, join the dark side. And Ezra defiantly says, never heard of it. And he, the Inquisitor turns to Kanan and says, have you taught him nothing? Yeah. Like, that's the attitude he has. He's like, I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed for your Padawan on your behalf. And I'm embarrassed for you on your Padawan's behalf. I'm embarrassed for you. And I'm deeply offended to hear this slander against my faves. Yeah. We didn't even talk about what I thought was one of the most important lines of dialogue in Rise of the Old Masters, which is where the Inquisitor knocks Kanan out and gives Ezra a choice. He Mm -hmm. can die or he can join the dark side. And the Inquisitor says, your master can't save you. He's unfocused. He's undisciplined. And then Ezra says, well, then we're perfect for each other. And this whole time, Ezra's got his little slingshot, which like... (laughs) It works if someone's already leaning over a ledge and you shoot him in the butt. I mean, it's deeply annoying. (laughs) But the Grand Inquisitor is just sitting there with his arms up, taking it on the chest, being like, yo, this doesn't even tickle. (laughs) It's very scary. And as you alluded to, once all four of the specters on the ground crew are running along through these hallways, they're flat out, full speed, double move action. The Inquisitor is walking. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought it up. And he is keeping up, and that is so deeply disturbing. That is horror movie stuff. You know what the scariest moment of the whole episode was? Is when the blast doors are irising closed, and the Inquisitor has already called for full lockdown, and then he finally starts running, and I was like, oh, it's really bad. Yeah. That's a that's a cool force power. I don't know what it is, but the uh, the slow predator the, walk, the speed walk, <laughs> the speed walk. Uh, gosh, yeah. So this is the first time in Rebels we've seen the Grand Inquisitor in action. In fact, this is kind of we didn't see him even bust out his lightsaber in Kenobi, did we? We did when he was kind of chasing Kenobi and Riva around uh, in the shipyard. It doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, so Rebels is the first canonical appearance of the Inquisitor, like in the real world. Yes. This is the first time that someone would have seen an Inquisitor on screen. Yes. So it, I wanted to ask you about this because obviously there's no other Inquisitors around. And the Inquisitor in this episode introduces himself. He says, I'm the Inquisitor. Yeah. But I also know from being your girlfriend, that there are Star Wars canon video games in which there are multiple Inquisitors. So what was the rollout in the real world of learning more about the Inquisitors and seeing them in action? 
we will see more of them in Rebels. But so what was the timeline? So first, um, first going way back to 1978 oh, in the uh, West year. End Games, which is also, I was reading this, where the um, the big trucks that the Imperials all run around in with the gun on top that we saw a lot of in the last episode. Uh, those are from the same source book. They're like, oh, the Imperials would have big trucks. They'd have all sorts of useful military equipment. And they'd also have Inquisitors who are Jedi hunters. And it's like a nice big bad for a Star Wars campaign if you're playing a role-playing game. An Inquisitor is like, you know, it's a big bad. It's not a dark Jedi with a thousand XP. It's a mid-sized bad guy, a force user who can really mess you up. This this Inquisitor is pretty scary. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's followed the Inquisitor career path all the way to the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a senior exec. Senior exec. This is the first time we've seen them in anything that is canon. Because after the great canon wipe, which actually occurred pretty concurrently with Rebels. It was around the same time that the great canon wipe was occurring. This is when we introduced Inquisitors, what they do, their spinny lightsabers, all that jazz. And so later on, we'll have a little bit more rollout. Okay, cool. Because in Jedi Fallen Order, for example, there are, they introduce, it seems like the brother and sister kind of hierarchy. No, that actually happens before that. Oh, okay, okay. So we'll get there. No worries. Uh, So the Inquisitors appeared in Rebels and then in Jedi Fallen Order and then in Kenobi, I believe. Okay. I know you've been saying that I keep rushing the character development there in are Rebels. four seasons of Rebels. And you're like, <laughs> I just want everyone's backstory. I'm like, babe, we've been, this is our third Rebels episode. Like, till- <laughs> Literally this week, I was like, when am I going to get the Sabine backstory? Like season two. No. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. I mean, they're, we're gaining everyone's backstory bits and bobs. And I think that's actually a really important part of Rise of the Old Masters is we learn the only backstory bit we learned was that Kanan's master was Deepa Balaba. And he favors lightsaber form three. Soryasu. To a mm, ridiculous degree. I thought Soryasu was two. No. Soryasu is three. Fascinating. Yeah. And in close quarters combat, that's what he uses. And that's how he was trained. We know that he was a, just based off of his age, that he was like a early teenager when Order 66 went off. And so it's deeply disturbing to know that the Inquisitor knows so much about him. Just based off of watching him fight, the Inquisitor probably already knows who he is. That is something that I wanted to talk about. You brought up Kanan's age during Order 66, and I think that gets us into the heart of the big tension of Rise of the Old Masters. Beyond there's an Inquisitor after us, and he could kill us with his pinky finger. Mm-hmm. The other emotional big the, the other emotional heart of the episode is this tension between Kanan feeling like a bad teacher and Ezra not doing much to be a good student. Mm-hmm. And so between Kanan saying, do or do not, there is no try, I never really got that one when Mm -hmm. Yoda said it. Between that and the Inquisitor dunking on him for his lightsaber skills, it made me feel like Kanan was just a Padawan when his training stopped. Oh, definitely. So it's deeply admirable to me that Kanan is willing to teach Ezra at all. I think hmm, I got a lot out of this. For two reasons. One of them is that by the end of the episode, Kanan is like, I'm going to teach you everything I know. Mm -hmm. And then the rest will go together. And I think that by being willing to teach, 
Cam is willing to grow himself mm. because he's basically just been a force sensitive scoundrel up until the events of the pilot when he orders the 22 pickup. Is he a scoundrel or is he a rebel? So affable rogue. Okay. Because he's, he's got Hera to be a moral compass. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, I could probably figure out his exact class in the like final or fantasy flight games system. He's got force sensitivity, but he's mostly, he's just not using the force. And so everything he's doing is being muscle is being the brains of the operation of being, you know, the criminal mastermind, but he's, he doesn't really have any particular skills like Ezra or Sabine do or Zeb. Like if, if Kanan couldn't use the force, Zeb would tie him into a pretzel and <laughs> Sabine would blow him up before he put his pants on and Ezra would hack his shower to cover him in foam. So like he's not actually, he's just Jedi and he's been making his way through life as a force sensitive kind of person. And he's got this interesting moral compass. Hera really helps with the moral compass. I think Ezra is going to allow him to level up his moral compass because now he is able to come back and teach what he knows. And that's really important to me on a personal note, because that's the relationship between like um, a sponsor and a sponsee in AA or other 12 step programs is like you, someone asks you to be their sponsor and you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you everything I know as I learned it. And that's basically going to come down to be like, I will tell you when you're having a stupid idea, but you actually <laughs> like you can't actually teach anyone anything that they don't want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is a good balm for me, balm, B-A-L-M, because I have this weird all or nothing thing about teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you're going to be a teacher, you better have a PhD or PhD equivalent and be practicing in your field and know everything about everything. And that's the only way that you're allowed to teach. Which is why I have a huge block against teaching anyone mm. anything because I'm like, well, I don't have any of that. So who am I to teach you things? And so it's that's why I said it was very admirable to see Kanan teaching Ezra when Kanan appears to have had less training than Ahsoka. Oh, definitely. Well, yes, definitely. And that's because Anakin was like, my lowest setting is 11. <laughs> You're going to be the best trained butt kicked Padawan out there. I, I have I have a secret wife, no life, a relationship with the chancellor, and I'm going to train you. I just don't sleep. <laughs> Anakin just didn't ever sleep. And that was his major superpower. And he spent all that time training Ahsoka. And also Ahsoka had a lot of combat experience. Yeah, it's like most Padawans got shoved in a crockpot for 10 years. But ah Ahsoka was in the microwave for 10 years, right? Yeah. Getting like radioactive and <laughs> powerful. She this was, is a weird metaphor. She was, in the, she was in the pressure cooker. Yeah. She, she got... She got there in a hurry. Thank you. That was that was the analogy I was looking for. So another note I want to touch on is the age, because I think that's really interesting, and it spans both of these episodes. Yeah, let's touch on it. Yeah, 
Yeah, since we're talking about training, Canaan training Ezra, maybe we should also talk about the Empire training child soldiers because they are adolescent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. So one of the, um, this is a tiny spoiler for the original trilogy, famously, Yoda says Luke is too old to begin training. So obviously, and that's what they said about Anakin as well. He's too old. And they said that about Anakin when he was like 10. Mm -hmm. And Luke is like 19. Wow. And then we're getting to Ezra, who's halfway in between there-ish. He's 14, 15, poorly fed 16. And so (laughs) the idea of you have to get them while they're young is really important to the Jedi And also to the Empire, and I find that so interesting from an indoctrination standpoint, and I wonder if it's not that you can't learn to be a Jedi, it's that you can't be indoctrinated into what a Jedi or what a stormtrooper does unless they get you early. Mm. There's an interesting political science theory that kind of goes along with this, Mm -hmm. and it's the reason why American kids have to recite the Pledge of Allegiance Mm -hmm. in school. There's this idea that young kids have a bucket of goodwill that you Mm. can fill up for patriotism. But unless there's some kind of radical outside event, like a young person joining the military or working for the government, that reservoir of goodwill will do nothing but trickle out as they get older. So some high up school administrator policy type people think that you have to fill up the reservoir as high as it can go. And at some point, it'll be brimming, but it'll never get higher than that, barring some kind of outside influence. Interesting. So the indoctrination of children in America and in Jedi academies and in the Stormtrooper Cadet Training Academy is all related to just filling up this sense. And I I find that very clear. When you're a child, the nuance of things is lost on you. Oh, yeah. And... Everything is kind of either good or bad. And so if someone wants to teach you something, they're like, ignore all the bad parts about this. Ignore all the complications. This thing is good. Even if it's like a 5149 problem, they're like, this is good. That is bad. And I find that really, really interesting, especially sort of, I guess, as I age throughout my 30s, I've recognized that the nuance is so important and that I was indoctrinated in so many things as a child. Mm. I had kind of a sideways question to ask you Mm -hmm. about this. So the Empire and the Jedi Order both trained child soldiers. We also saw a third child soldier academy, which was the Clone Cadet Academy. That's true, yeah. So in Star Wars, do you think all three of those things, the Imperial, the Jedi, and the Clone Cadet Academies, you know, you know what I'm saying, Are they all just random happenstance parallels or are they in conversation with each other? Well, I don't think they're in conversation with each other. I just think that the idea of children having a childhood is not as widespread in Star Wars as it Mm. is in the 20th century. Because in the 19th century, that wasn't part of things either. If you were old enough to hold a pick and shovel, you're down into the coal mines. Or even if you're a noble, right? If you're four years old, you are a practicing noble. You are, and you'd have a council of regents, but that would be a continuance of indoctrination, right? They'd be saying, in this type of problem, we make these decisions. And you'd be, if you're a noble or you know, even minor nobility, you'd be betrothed to someone to 
concentrate wealth. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of having time is uh, very 19th, 20th century as part of the, I guess it's like the second era of enlightenment after the eight, after the 1848 revolutions, when this whole labor movement started to arise as far as what does it mean to be human? All people are created equal. The Americans said that a hundred years ago. So why aren't we spreading that everywhere? Why do the Americans still have slaves? So we're sitting here in the 1860s, 1870s, and this idea that everyone is equal and that we have such labor saving technologies that we don't need to send our children into the mines anymore. In fact, why are the miners slaving away their lives for the mine owner? And this change has given us this idea of childhood being a thing. Mm -hmm. And that isn't prevalent in the Star Wars universe. And in a way, it's a tiny change, but it seems deeply subversive to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. One time for work, I, I summarized a research article on why kindergarten exists. Mm -hmm. And it was created by this um, this German academic. He was born, I think, in like 1780. Okay. And so he started to believe that childhood was distinct from adulthood and came up with this idea of intentionally developing children with this concept of giving them a garden, kindergarten, mm -hmm. child garden, to grow and explore and play and learn because he recognized that children are distinct from adults. But as we talk about a lot on this podcast, Star Wars draws from different eras in history. And mm -hmm. maybe in this particular case, they're drawing on an era of history in which childhood is not distinct from adulthood. So it's interesting. It reminded me a lot, actually, of the Boba Fett arc in Ooh, season yeah. two of The Clone Wars yeah, yeah, yeah. when he infiltrates the Clone Academy. I mean, it's the same type of thing of infiltrating academy an academy in order to get what you want, including the door trap, which was also in Boba Fett. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot in the Boba Fett arc, I think, about how Boba has not gotten to have much of a childhood. I think he was maybe... What was he, 10 or 12 yeah. when his dad dies? But it was the same kind of queasy vibe as this episode of Rebels where these soldiers in training are still kids. They've got big bobbleheads and tiny bodies. They're definitely still kids. And I find it just it's, – it's interesting that being a stormtrooper is this only way out. And the kids have to deeply traumatize themselves to become stormtroopers. They're continuously asked to sabotage each other. Yeah. There's and, no kindness in war is what the training officer says. Yeah. And there's eight of them trying to climb up out of this pit and they're shoving each other because – if they are the last one, apparently they have to work for Taskmaster Grint. Oh, grim. So these uh, these two Imperial officers, they're the Imperial officers from the pilot. There's the skinny pallid one and the fat, I don't know. Also scary one. Bulldog one. And they both look relatively incompetent, but they're like just yelling at these kids. It doesn't matter that they're incompetent when they have all of the power. Yeah, right? that's that, true. That's what's sinister and nefarious about them. I thought that all of these challenges were just a great visual metaphor for what's actually going on in Stormtrooper Academy, which is that you put these eight kid, these eight boys at the bottom of a well, and they're scrabbling over each other to get to the top. But what's waiting for them at the top? 
these terrible taskmasters who meet out whether or not they will get further training to keep them alive or whether they will just be brutalized and sent back down to the bottom. Yeah. Isn't that dark? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not only soldiering, it's also so much of life. And one of the, the darkest parts about this is the fact that if you are actually good at this, the Inquisitor comes and takes you. Because, because shows, maybe you're too good at it. Maybe you're force sensitive and the Inquisitor is going to turn you into an Inquisitor. While I was watching Breaking Ranks, I was writing all of these detailed notes and questions. I was like, oh my gosh, Ezra's Force-sensitive. Do the Did the Empire even know how to recognize a Force-sensitive? Are there Force-sensitive stormtroopers? Are they all just within the Imperial ranks? And then we get to the midpoint of the episode and it turns out, yeah, the Empire is deeply familiar with what to do with Force-sensitives. They call up the Inquisitor. He takes them away. And no one ever sees them again. Yep. So we don't even know if they become Inquisitors. They may just be taken off to be killed. They may be. I learned as part of my research for this episode that Zara Leonis has his own children's book. Oh. Yeah, it's like a YA novel or trilogy of novels that covers what he's up to in this whole time. He was a character who I admired the heck out of. The whole, like, I could escape with these cool rebels and join their fun family, or I can do what I set out to do is is very cool. And it's interesting that he was not the one who got called by the Taskmasters to the Inquisitor. He's top of the class without being the tippy top of the class. He's like a B-plus student. Which is perfect. Yeah. He's, he's doing the thing, and he's already thinking like a spy. And the way that all of these kids, Jai and Ezra and Zare, are interacting with each other as far as like their families are tough. They all have their own secret missions and they're so deeply traumatized, but they're actually doing something about it. And in the Star Wars universe, I think everyone is deeply traumatized enough by the Empire or by whatever to be shocked into standstill. Hmm. And it actually takes an inspiration, some inspiring event to get people rebelling. Well, yeah, because the Empire puts you in such a hard place where it's safer just to stay still, right? Exactly. I think we saw that last episode with the old family friend that Ezra rescues, and the Empire's after his farm, Mm -hmm. and the farmer doesn't want to rebel, doesn't want to say no, and so just is shocked or struck into a state of paralysis. And then it doesn't matter. The Empire comes after him and his family anyway. And I think that is really beautifully represented when Ezra's forced to sabotage Jai. Mm -hmm. Ezra and Jai have been kind of like best buds this whole training program. Zara's been on the outside. And then Ezra brings Zara into his inner circle and has to push Jai off of one of the blocks to get Zara to the top. Yep. And so the next time that Ezra tries to interact with Jai, Jai's like, why would I ever trust you? You're just going to mess with me again. And then I'm going to be sent to the bottom of the class. Yeah. And so there's this also really deep way in which fear of the empire pits people against each other when they would be stronger together. There's also, circling back to the incident with Sumar in the previous in-fighter that, fight. Yeah, that's the old friend Sumar. Um, It seems like there is 
an innateness to what it means to be a sentient in our world and in the Star Wars universe. There's an innate kindness and there are social norms. And the Empire pushes those social norms. It's continually pushing what it means. Mm. Like, okay, I need to go to school so that I can get a good job that's better than dirt farming. So I'm going to become a stormtrooper. And there you learn helping out your neighbor is not the correct thing to do. Mm. You need to sabotage them so that you can get ahead. And that is the most twisted part of the indoctrination because that's just pushing you in one direction. And that's um, the political, one of the political terms for it would be like an Overton window where you're pushing what it means to be societally proper in one direction over and over and over again. You're saying, these societal norms as far as loving your neighbor no like not in these circumstances not in war and then later on not on tuesdays and then later on not on any days just be a jerk as a side note if you dear listener think this is a really interesting concept we have a book recommendation for you If you like this really queasy colonialism overtaking of societies theme or motif, you might want to check out the Masquerade Trilogy by Seth Dickinson. Um, I think it's also called the Baru Cormorant Trilogy. No, the first book's Traitor Baru Cormorant. And it is fascinating and one of the best sci-fi novels I've ever read. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Circling back (laughs) around to what you were saying, I... Like watching this because, as I've said, I'm really enjoying this very nuanced, deep look into why the Empire is so horrifying. It's just interesting to watch, even in its queasiness. But what I like about both of these episodes is that they're also blending in some genuinely heartwarming moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's having really nice moments and... uh... In both of these episodes, we get to see the Spectres acting as both a family and as an adventuring party. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I loved Ezra with his crew of boys. I think that was a very deliberate pushback against what the Imperial Academy was trying to foster in these boys. Mm -hmm. Instead of sabotaging everybody, Ezra decides to lift his gang up with him. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I also really loved that moment at the end of Rise of the Old Masters when Kanan and Ezra basically shake hands and say, all right, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And then there's this really lovely moment. The sun is setting. They're outside. They're doing lightsaber training. They don't have any fancy equipment. There's no dorky helmets. And as and Kanan is lobbing rocks or whatever at Ezra to do lightsaber training, And it was like the Star Wars equivalent of a dad and a son playing catch. Oh, yeah. It looked exactly like that. It was so cute. And it shows that, like, no matter how much you, like, want things to work out, no matter what you say, the actions you do, particularly in bridging this communication divide between a father figure and a son figure, it comes down to doing the action. It comes down to... We miscommunicated and now we're going to start. We're not going to try. We're just going to keep on making it work because what's in the past is in the past. Mm, Like your intentions don't really matter. The impact of your actions matters. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I could picture just generations of Jedi doing this. Yeah. And what's so funny about that, that's a really interesting point. 
I think that the Jedi weren't raising child soldiers up until the Clone Wars. Ooh. The Jedi were doing this. Hmm. They had a rigorous practice, but I'd imagine that lightsaber training was an hour a day. And much of their training was adjudication. It was focus. It was meditation. It was being one with the force because that is where their strength comes from. Otherwise, you're just a dude with a, a laser sword. I mean, Kanan says that to Ezra. Is having a laser sword doesn't make you a Jedi. Ooh. And I think that's an important lesson that Kanan needs to learn. Because he is he a Jedi yet? My thinking was no. I agree. At this point, he is not a Jedi. He is a Padawan on the run. He is a force outcast. He is out there doing his thing, but he doesn't, he's not living the Jedi life. We talked about that in the previous episodes when he's like willing to trade arms that devastated Zeb's people. And yeah. he just does not care about Zeb's feelings. He's not there yet. He has the skills. He can blow stuff up. He can fly. He can, in one of these, uh, in the Spire, he's just slamming stormtroopers. And Ezra says, you're not messing around. Yeah. Like, he has the power when he uses it in that way. But there's even a darkness to it. Yeah. That was one thing that made me uncomfortable, right? Because I I just talked to you about my whole thing about how teachers need to be at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. So it made me uneasy and uncomfortable to watch Kanan try to train Ezra. But at the same time, Kanan was completely wrong to think that Luminara would have been a good teacher for Ezra just because she was a full Jedi master. That would have been so bad. Yeah. That partnership would have fallen apart in Three minutes. Because we do get to see Luminara and Barris in several episodes of The Clone Wars. And Luminara makes Barris in her image. She does. Exactly the same. She's like, and we, we even see it more in the Tartakowski, which we're watching in Spice Run. But uh, Luminara is like, when this happens, put your body like this. And she just set, is like training it's a. It's like the movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale. She's training a Gramaton cleric, not a Jedi. She's like, when this, do that. When this, do that. And they do the same moves. They think the same way. It's all memorization and uh, muscle memory. So Sam is talking about the 2003 Tartakovsky 2D Clone Wars that we're mm -hmm. watching on the Patreon, which is super fun. But Barris and Luminara are in a tricky situation, and they end up mirroring each other in this really graceful lightsaber pattern dance to get out of this dangerous situation. And it's really cool, but Luminara would not be able to create a carbon copy of herself out of Ezra. It would not work. He's yeah. sloppy. He's undisciplined. He, he is. He's mischievous. He's got a free spirit. He's got five levels of rogue. Yeah. And so he can't become a full Jedi. He's got, he's able to, in this episode, he's got a little wrench and he's able to pretend to be an astromech and open doors with it, which is very cool. It's so cool. So... Kanan and Ezra end up on the right path. And I also think it's a really important lesson that you have to do what you're trying to do. This is me paraphrasing Yoda badly, mm -hmm. but I, you have to be willing to lean into what you're trying to do with your life instead of being one foot out the door with your endeavors. That and 
perfection is the enemy of progress. Like practice makes progress, not practice makes perfect. Yeah, action makes progress. Yeah. And that's what do or do not, there is no try. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to try to do this. What's going to happen is I'm doing the thing. And if I'm not doing the thing, then I'm not doing the thing. But we either do it or we don't. And however we do it, we'll get the results we get. But it's it's a very live in the moment thing. And I yeah, love it. I like it too. On that note, do you want to talk about who your favorite character was these episodes? It is time for Baywatch. I think it's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Well, for my bay, I'm choosing the bravest, fallingest, uh, shockedest little specter. It is Ezra Bridger. Wait, I chose Ezra too. Aww. Wow, that's so nice. <laughs> Why did you pick Ezra? Okay, I picked Ezra because he is willing to do the dang thing. And he's he's sullen, he's grouchy, but he lets himself be known of like, here's, he doesn't like, sit down and say, here's what I'm feeling. But he's like, yeah, I'm feeling this. I feel like you want to voice me off on Luminara. And Kanan's like, okay, we've both miscommunicated here. I understand as an adult how to communicate my feelings about our relationship. Ezra is okay with that. He's willing to forgive Kanan. He has this bond with Kanan that he doesn't really have with anyone else. Kanan is the first person who talked to him in the pilot. When he's in his spire overlooking Topeka. He has a... a Topeka. Lothal, whatever. (laughs) He has a different but equally nice thing going on with Hera. It's just a little different because Hera is his mom and Kanan is his master. Yeah, as of this episode. Yeah. And then in the second episode, he's perfectly brave and he... There's a great scene where Chopper comes out and he's got the decoder to give away and Zeb and Sabine are querying Chopper. They're like, what do you mean he's not with you? And Ezra comes up on a recording. He's like, I bet you're wondering why I'm not with you. And they're like, darn right. He's like, well, I got to rescue someone. And like, you can't rescue someone. He's like, yeah, I didn't think I had to rescue anyone either. (laughs) And then I met you bozos. (laughs) (laughs) Who made me into a hero. And they're like, ah. You made me neutral good. (laughs) And so this idea of him being willing to put it all on the line all the time. And with this verve and enthusiasm, he's, he's a happy warrior. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. I I just called him neutral good, and that is a gross misstatement. He's definitely chaotic good. Definitely chaotic Yeah. Good. I also picked Ezra because my heart was twinging a little bit at the end of both of these episodes, thinking about how lonely Ezra must have been when Kanan picked him out of his space needle. Yeah. Just a 15-year-old kid, an emancipated minor, living on his own, no friends, Hustling stormtroopers, no wonder he saw the specters and was like, I want to go with those guys because he was so isolated. And I loved seeing him intentionally creating this mini family with this crew of miscreant boys in Mm -hmm. the academy. It was so nice to see him surrounded by peers. Yeah. Because, yes, now he has a family and an adventuring crew, but he doesn't really have people his own age to hang out with with the Spectres. Not really. And it it was nice because 
now that Ezra is a specter, he can't really be a kid with other kids like kids can be kids with each other. Yeah. Do, are, you, are you picking on what I'm putting down? I am for sure. I don't know if he ever was before, but he is now. And that's cool. And it's a really interesting juxtaposition with the baby Boba Fett mm-hmm. infiltrating the mm-hmm. academy because baby Boba is grouchy. Baby Boba is a 12-year-old who doesn't get to be a 12-year-old. He's trying to be a full-fledged adult bounty hunter in a very dangerous crew of bounty hunters. Including Aura Singh, yeah. And Bosk, who would eat him for lizard breakfast. (laughs) And and digest him over three days. Yeah, and the fact that Ezra is still happy and playful through all this, I think is really important. Yeah, he made me feel happy and playful watching him. It's cool to see how resilient he is. Also, I just love how at the end, the the plan goes awry and Jai and Zare end up in the walker pod and have to make their way with Oleg, who is the fourth un, unseen The jerk boy. bag one. Oh, whatever. They're trained to be jerks. The drinking the Kool-Aid one. And um, so the pod, the ATDP walker pod is walking along and Ezra's like climbing on top and he's like, let me in. And the, <laughs> the taskmasters are like, look. Uh, the, his name was like Dev Mor- Morgan. Morgan is trying to fight off the insurgents single-handed. <laughs> and he's like, let me in, we're escaping. <laughs> he's just got, oh my gosh, he's great in these episodes and he's really the star of the show. He is such the star of the show. It's a pleasure just to watch him. Well, this has been delightful. Join us next week. We will be watching Rebel Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8, Out of Darkness and Empire Day. Oh, snap. What does that mean? Uh, okay. We've got some really fun stuff coming up. Out of Darkness is just a classic sci-fi story, and Empire Day is really important for moving along the season one plot. It sounds like America Day. America! Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Imagine 4th of July in space. Oh, no. Space. If you love Growing Up Skywalker, please make sure to follow us on your podcast platform. You can click the little bell and get notified whenever we drop an episode. It's also really helpful for discoverability. If you rate us five stars on Spotify, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It just helps us to get into the earbuds of more people. And use those shareable links. Those also increase our algorithmic spread. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and... X gonna give it to you. And X gonna give it to you. I don't don't even know. We're gonna date ourselves with this episode because X is gonna turn back into Twitter in 1.5 weeks. I'm calling it. I don't think so. I think it might just collapse. I should short them. Anyway. Anyway. Join us there and also on Patreon. New this year, any tier of our monthly membership starting at $3 a month get you access to our entire backlog of audio content and everything moving forward. We already know we have a ton of leftovers for this episode, so join us this week on the Patreon and you can listen to all the stuff that we didn't have time to talk about. And while we're talking about Patreon... 
Welcome to our newest patron, Sarit. Welcome to the Growing Up Skywalker family. Yay, happy to have you. And send this episode to someone who is a happy warrior in your life. Aww. Especially if they're a 12-year-old miscreant. Or they're uh, part of the SAG After Strikes, because we support them. Yeah. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.